that have gathered tonight in the name that is above every name to talk about the king's business and the greatest enterprise on earth, the church of the living God. These are the most exciting days that God has ever allowed on this old terra firma we call earth. And may God be praised who matched us with this hour. And I praise our Lord for bringing to the kingdom men for such a time as this. I'm going to introduce to you tonight one of the finest gentlemen that I've ever known. I ponder just a little bit about the introduction of this man. I could tell you that he pastors a large and a thriving church, and it would be true. I could tell you that he was a sweet singer in Israel, and the half would not be told. I could tell you he was a great preacher, but you'll know that before this night is over. But, in my opinion, the most outstanding thing that I can say about my friend who is to break the bread of life tonight is he is a Christian, a Christian gentleman. And will you stand to receive Pastor M.L. Ewing from Lake Charles, Louisiana, who will preach to us the unsearchable riches of Christ. Brother Merle, will you come? And whatsoever the Lord saith unto you, everybody said, tell us. Thank you, my beloved superintendent from the state of Louisiana. And my honor tonight goes to my general superintendent, the assistants, the general board, and the committee that selected the speakers for this meeting. Thank you for including me. And thank God for allowing me the privilege to be a part of such a great body. When I received the letter of invitation to speak tonight, I just simply, when I saw what it was, I bowed my head and began to cry. I do not feel worthy to stand here tonight in any sense of the word, but I told God a long time ago that whatever you and my brethren feel that I'm capable of doing, I'll do my best to fill that request. I stand here tonight with a great feeling of unworthiness, but yet an inner sense of a deep purpose of the Holy Ghost for this service tonight. I have received letters, beautiful comments, and telephone calls of prophecy. I stand here tonight very encouraged that God wants to do something in this place. I appreciate so very much the beauty of the spirit that I feel in this conference. But I believe tonight God would like to break in upon us in a manner and a way that would be more than just a good conference service. And for us to have that, I feel it would be imperative for us to enter into a dimension of worship, a dimension of spiritual worship, 
not just because somebody asked us, but because we're worshiping Him out of hearts that love Him because He is worthy of our praise. How many of you tonight would like for us to get into a higher dimension of worship and spiritual frame of mind that God could do a work among us tonight? Praise God. I do not want that tonight because I stand here. I want that because we all stand at this point in time. I want God to do something among us tonight, to us and for us, that would change the course and direction in some people's lives that have been sidetracked, perhaps steered away from the main purpose of your calling. I want God to just simply do a work among all of us tonight. And because He's worthy, why don't we lift our hands and our voices together and for just a little while, let's worship Him in spirit and in truth everywhere in the building. Father, we love You. Father, we lift You up. We magnify the holy and righteous name of the Lord. for this gathering. Thank you for this people. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this setting tonight. Thank you for the purpose of the Holy Ghost in this meeting. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, let's worship him with a loud voice everywhere in the tabernacle. Hallelujah! 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 I ask you to reach over and touch your brother or your sister by on the shoulder. Let's pray for one another right now. Let's pray for one another that God would do a work in every one of our lives here tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Mm, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. into a higher dimension of praise. Huh? Shut up, I don't know about you. 
There's something about when Pentecostals begin to clap their hands and magnify the Lord. The book says, clap your hands, all your people. Let's lift him up with a hand clap tonight. Hallelujah. auditorium to the other. while they're praising your name right now. Fill somebody with the Holy Ghost while the people of God are blessing your name right now. that work in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I feel tonight the Holy Ghost is going to minister to somebody in this building. The devil's been trying to tell you it's just about over for you. God's going to breathe something in your heart tonight. Hallelujah. To let you know life is still worth the living. Glory. Glory. everybody tonight you know what hallelujah means I don't have to go through that and tell you but everybody tonight that gives yourself to Jehovah if you've got to got a got room enough you can make a swing I want you to I want you to just kind of make a throw that right hand as high as you can get it and shout hallelujah until you vibrate the floor you're standing on right now would you do it everybody tonight I'll tell you now unless God helps me you're about to hear the biggest flop you ever heard but if God will just speak to us tonight and use us as a mouthpiece I would be so honored let's thank God tonight for what the Lord wants to do in our midst would you you're so beautiful God you're so beautiful God you're so beautiful, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I've had I don't know how many. Would you remain in this beautiful seat, spirit and just be seated for just a moment here? I've had I don't know how many to ask me, Brother Ewing, are you going to sing tonight? And I came to this, to this hour without any intentions of singing, but knelt in prayer just before coming and my friends 
had gathered in my room and laid hands on me. And while we were praying, the Holy Ghost kind of nudged me to sing a little song. And Brother Billy Cole just now said, all of us, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and afflictions, in necessities and distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. And verse 9, I'd like to focus your attention, our attention, on the phrase as unknown and yet well known. Before we pray, I'd like to share with you, this is a message that was born in my heart some several years ago, and I have preached it in a camp here or a camp there. I preached it at our home church, and some of you in this audience tonight may have heard a tape or you might have heard me preach the message. But in my invitation for this pulpit tonight, many inspirations, many sermons that have been born in our hearts, I would love to preach, but God impressed me that this was the message for this night of this conference. And I do not question the Lord, and I simply ask humbly that every one of you would preach with me tonight and feel it with me. If you're having difficulty in hearing wherever you are, just ask God. I feel like the Lord will enable us to hear and feel together what the Spirit would like for us to accomplish here tonight. I'd like to wait for just a moment to give you the title of the message because the title was born out of an experience and I will wait just a little while to give you that title. But if you will now, let's ask God humbly to anoint the lips of his feeble servant, to anoint our ears to hear and to melt our hearts and our spirits together in the presence of God. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, you're such a great God. 
We love you so much. We appreciate you with all of our hearts. I humbly ask you tonight for the anointing of the Lord to anoint the lips of your feeble servant, my mind, my heart, my spirit, my soul. Anoint the ears of your people and anoint our spirits. Melt us together in the presence of God and do a work among us here tonight. We love you. We appreciate you. We magnify your beautiful name. Hallelujah. 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 We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. And everybody say amen. Thank you so much. You're such a beautiful congregation tonight. You may be seated. The message that I feel on my heart tonight was born in my heart some time ago. Joan and I have a very favorite thing that we like to do when we get up in the morning at our home. If it happens to be in the winter time and we don't have pressing things that uh, takes us to the office or into the streets of the city, we like to build a fire, play, fire in the fireplace in the den and, and uh, drag our rocking chairs up by that fireplace and drink our coffee together and we use that that time to share heartbeats and thoughts and talk about the work of the Lord and I'm so very thankful for a companion that does share with me the dreams and the heartbeat of the work of God it was on one of these such mornings sitting there by the fireplace and evidently it was probably on a Monday morning if I remember correctly because I was scanning through the paper as we were sitting there visiting waiting on her perhaps to bring the coffee or whatever and I was I was scanning through uh, what used to be the family weekly I think they call it parade now but it's the little insert into the Sunday paper and I am amused a lot of times at the different advertisements and the different trinkets and things that are offered to the takers in that little family weekly. And that, uh, that particular family weekly had an advertisement that caught my eye very quickly when I opened up the a little paper, the little insert. I saw advertised there four decorative plates and in each of these plates was one of Norman Rockwell's paintings, a different painting in each plate. And I immediately was, my attention was arrested because Norman Rockwell happens to be my favorite artist and uh, when I looked at those, those pictures, some of them I had seen and one or two of them I had not seen. And as I started enjoying the beauty of the paintings in these decorative plates, 
I was, uh, I was thrilled all over again because Norman Rockwell had the unique ability to take a feeling of a moment and capture it on a piece of canvas, which is very, very difficult to do. It's very difficult even to capture the feeling of a moment with words sometimes when you're trying to repeat it to somebody else that was not there. But uh, Rockwell had that unique ability to capture the feeling of a moment and transmit it via canvas. And I noticed these uh, plates and I scanned, of course, the familiar ones and enjoyed them again. But then the last plate had a picture in it that I had never seen before. And when I saw that painting, when I saw that, that scene and that feeling that was captured in that picture by the artist, and my eyes fell to the bottom of the picture and I saw the title, I just burst out crying. I just, I just lost, lost control and I went to weeping and uh, I had to explain to Joan what it was all about and when I try to explain to you tonight, you may not understand, I hope you do yes. and I hope the feeling would, uh, would grip your heart. It was, it was the, the drawing of, of two young fellas. I guess one of them looked like probably he was, by his uh, gangliness, he must have been probably about 11 years of age. That's what he looked like. And, and the, other, the other fellow was, was a little bit shorter and, and uh, he looked to be about nine, maybe nine years of age. And uh, they were engaged in a, in a little uh, football game, just the two of them. And the older, the older boy, he was somewhat gangly and, and as my, my dad used to say in farm language, when you see somebody kind of grow up quick like that, and he kind of, they, they call it, look like they're spindling up, you know. I guess that's what beans and all used to do. I'm not that up on farm language, but uh, it, it looked like he had just kind of spindled up, you know. If that's if you understand that terminology, and it looked it looked that he probably was the master of that little that little set to that little game, and uh, he's the one that had the he had the helmet and and uh, what shoulder pads were available. He had them under his little makeshift jersey, and and uh, he had his little uh, football trousers. Uh, with the, you know, cut off to the knee and, and he, he really looked the part. And uh, the, other, the other little fella, when I explained to you the position that they were in in this little, uh, this little confrontation that they were having, one, uh, one of them, of course the bigger boy, he was naturally carrying the ball, you understand. I mean, he was, he was, the, one, he was the one that was in control of the situation. And uh, the, the little fellow was the one that was having to try to, uh, you know, defend. And, and uh, the picture shows the bigger boy 
doubled in a 90-degree uh, bend here, and uh, the football helmet that was had been on top of his head was now, it was going through the air. It was leaving his head, going through the air. And the football that had been so caressed in his midsection had been totally knocked loose. And uh, he was in the process of a great fumble. And uh, uh, all of this, and you'd had to have seen the shock that was registered on the face of that boy that thought he had it all under control. And about all you could tell about the little fella was that his right shoulder was planted firmly into the stomach section of that bigger boy. And his face was toward the viewer of the picture. And I have never seen such a bulldog look of determination on anybody's face in all of my life. The surprise on the older boy's face, the bulldog determination on the younger fellow's face. And uh, anybody that had any heart at all could tell that it was a decisive moment in somebody's life. You understand nobody else was pictured. They were just there themselves. No one else was pictured in the picture. And my eyes dropped to the title that was at the bottom of the picture. And it just simply said two words. And that was Saturday Heroes. When I read those two words, Saturday Heroes, I guess maybe my heart and my spirit identified with what Norman Rockwell was evidently trying to portray with that picture. You see, in the minds of those young men, in their, in their fancy, in their make-believe world, they, they were not they were not really aware while they were just playing somewhere on a vacant lot or maybe an empty field beside someone's house. They weren't really aware that a strategic moment was about to break upon them. They were not really, really aware that something of significant was, was about to take place. But uh, in their mind, in their mind, they had probably seen enough football. They had seen enough uh, of the high school games on Friday night. And they may have even seen enough of the college players on their Saturday night playing turf. And maybe even enough of the professional scene on Sunday afternoon that probably they were, they were well uh, well saturated and, and totally given to uh, the make-believe world. And <clears throat> probably in their minds, the, uh, the barbed wire fence that, that was uh, bordering the little field where they were playing, 
probably in their mind, instead of it being a barbed wire fence, that was, that was rows of bleachers. I'm talking about in their, in their fancy. Rows of bleachers and, and uh, those, those tall pine trees just beyond the, the barbed wire fence, that, that was not pine trees at all. That was, that was big, tall, light poles that, that, uh, that was shining lights on the field that they were playing on. And, uh, and the old weeds that was lazily waving in the breeze. That was, that was not weeds in a field at all. That was the waving of the hands of the fans. And in their make-believe world, they were as tough as anybody else. In their make-believe world, they were as good as the next one. In their make-believe world, they were, they were just, as, uh, just as sent far as as the high school boys or the college boys or the professionals. It really didn't matter to them. And they were playing in their own world. And uh, the, 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 the lines, you know, that was, that, was not, uh, that was not pine cones strewn across the field that they had marked. That was, that was really white lines across their, their little pasture that they were playing in. And then the title, Saturday Heroes. I, uh, I guess the reason that I, I started crying when I read that is because there was something about that that I identified with. There were some things in my yesterdays and some things in my past that uh, had happened to me that I identified with that. You see, as long as they were fumbling the ball, as long as they were uh, you know, just just uh, just just playing and, and learning how and and all of this. It was fine, but but then there came the time and that in the life of that little underdog, that little nine-year-old boy, when he got up enough grit and enough courage, and he finally made a hit on that boy that had been pulling him around by the nose, and when he finally got up enough courage, and and he really did dig in his feet and he and he hit him with everything he had he hit him so hard that he knocked the helmet off of his head he hit him so hard that he fumbled the ball he hit him so hard that he knocked him to the ground once and for all he was not the underdog anymore he was the hero But once time and chance had offered him a situation to be a hero, he looked to the barbed wire fence and in the moment of reality, it was really not bleachers. Yes. It was just a fence. He looked at the light poles they really weren't light poles, it was just pine trees. Yeah. He looked for the coach. He looked for mom and dad. He looked for grandma and grandpa. And it really wasn't the waving of the hands of fans. Yes. 
It really was just the weeds blowing in the breeze. Hero, you're mighty right. But just a Saturday hero. He knew in his own mind and heart that if he had been on the Friday night playing field with the high school boys, and if he'd have done that kind of a that kind of a feat, that somebody would have stopped the game, walked over, said, Time out, fellas. Let me give this little man a handshake. I've never seen no better than this on Friday night or Saturday night or Sunday afternoon. College nor professional. I've never seen no greater playing than this. He knew that if his dad would have been anywhere around, that dad would have come running out on that old field and patted him on the back and said, boy, I'm proud. I'm just proud to be your daddy. Man, that was good. You're the underdog, but you turned out to be a hero. My hat's off to you. was all right as long as they were just playing around. But when a moment of truth, when a moment of challenge, when a moment of victory, when a moment of accomplishment had offered itself to him, it was not enough to just dream that there were bleachers dream that there were spotlights on the field, dream that there were hands of the fans waving, and dream of them screaming in ecstasy. That was not enough. But to turn around, the desire for acclaim, the reach for somebody to give me just a little of, of, of just, just a handshake, anything, when that dawned on me, I realized how often life presents us with circumstances just like that. It was not just two little boys now, it's you and I. As long as the ordinary events of the day carries us into the mundane, it's all right that there's no bleachers. It's all right that there's no waving of the hands. It's all right that there's no acclaim. But come the time of a, of a true moment of accomplishment, come the time when the stage of life has been set and we are offered the beautiful chance to have a victory, to have an accomplishment. We look for somebody to give us a hand clap. We look for somebody to give us a wave of the hand. We look for somebody to say, I'm with you, I'm behind you. But how many times do we wake up to see what we dreamed in fancy to be the bleachers filled with people what we thought in our fancy to be everybody watching and everybody looking but yet at the moment of truth we turn around to view and there's nobody there but just us 
our convictions. He rose. Yes. 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 Nobody knows any, any better than the one who was the underdog that came out on top. Nobody knows any better than he did that he was a hero. Nobody knows any better than the one who prayed through and got victory over the temptation. Nobody knows better than the one who fought the battle and came out with a victory. Nobody knows better than he, the hero of the moment. But the thing that makes it so bad is that we play so well to the crowd. We play so well to the bleachers. We play so well to the waving of the hands. We play so well to the screaming of the fans. We play so well, as it were, on the stage that sat until sometime when the bleachers are not there and the waving of the fans are not there and the screaming of acclaim is not there. We lose sight of the fact that we really were heroes. Nobody knew any better than that little fella that he was a hero. But it's trying to get the aura of the moment, the handicap that he was under. Trying to get all of that scene painted with just the vehicle of words to his mom and dad that night around the supper table. Oh. If you'd have just seen that cocky look on old Johnny's face. If you'd have just seen what happened when I gritted my teeth and hit him as hard as I could hit him. If you'd have just been there. If you could have just seen what happened. And so many of life's challenges and victories we have to just simply write off hero but just on Saturday yes. no one was there to see good oh God. good All right. yes 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 I think probably the reason that I broke down and cried was when I saw that picture was my own experience in in, uh, high school. And I share these things with you tonight to give you the setting and the foundation for what I feel the Holy Ghost would like to impart with us tonight. I was the first young man in our church who came into the high school scene 
There was a young lady who is now our church secretary at home. She and her husband serve as secretaries, and she's the office secretary. And uh, she was a couple of years ahead of myself. She was the first girl in our high school that uh, we had a high school of between four and five hundred, between nine and twelve, and you know, not a big high school, but yet it wasn't just a, you know. Uh, she was the first girl in that North Lake Charles High School that came through with convictions about dressing out and PE and, and all of this business. And uh, it was such a Catholic-oriented place and town until the pressure was, was tremendous. In fact, they just simply wrote it off as we were a bunch of lunatics and, and uh, they said that if you don't dress out and, and, and all of this business, regardless of your religious convictions of ungodly attire, if you don't dress out, well then you just, uh, you just don't make the grade. Well, my dad was a great big six foot four, 250 pound black haired gentleman and uh, he didn't take no for an answer real easily. And uh, my dad, he uh, did what he could uh, through us and through the channels, but finally it came down to where he had to go to the school and he had to make his appeal to those, those people. Well, to make a long story short, because of his persuasiveness and, and not giving in, uh, they finally acquiesced that we could dress out in attire that would be uh, conformable to our Christian principles and not unduly expose our bodies uh, to, uh, to the world. And, and uh, uh, they, the, of course the officials and, and the PE officials didn't take it sitting down. They didn't like the defeat that they had suffered. So they decided they would take it out on that little bunch of humble Pentecostals from that little Pentecostal church that was trying to get started in North Lake Charles. And uh, so the PE teacher in the girls class, she just made a, made a statement, you know, kind of kind of save face. She said, well, kids like that will never amount to a hill of beans anyway. And uh, that, that's the way it was written off. And that girl, she uh, stood true to her convictions. And the young people of that church, I was the first boy that came along the next year or the next. And we stood true to, true to our convictions. And, and, uh, and the thing about it that was so beautiful is that that school that had made such a, such a deal and, and it just, well, we were the scum of the earth, you might say, with the, the outcast. You, you get the picture. And, uh, but that, that, that same school officialdom had to, had to watch that first girl that came through graduate four years later salutatorian of her class. They had to watch that same girl's sister who graduated in my class the next year graduate valedictorian of her class. They had to watch the next year when the piano player from that same little humble Pentecostal church graduated valedictorian of her class. They had to stand by and watch the next year as the accordion player, the sister of the piano player, graduated the next year valedictorian of her class. 
They had to stand by and wait for another one of the musicians of that little humble Pentecostal church graduate the next year valedictorian of her class. About five or six years in a row, one of the musicians from that little humble Pentecostal church that they said kids like that will never amount to a hill of beans anyhow, graduate with top honors in their classes. You see, it don't take many situations like that to put a little, a little, a little spunk. You tell me I can't do it. You tell me we don't have it in us. Bless God, we'll show you or we'll die trying. We see, when I come along, they saw my size. I always have been rather hefty for my age. They, they, they saw a chance that uh, they, they, they wanted me. And for the first time in my life, I was wanted. <laughs> it amazed me. And the school principal talked to my dad. The school principal and the coach drew, drew me into the office. And uh, they set me down and just, they said, we need you. The school needs you. We, we need you and, and, and your efforts and the school spirit that it will generate and, and all of this. We, we need you. And uh, it, was, it was my very happy honor, mostly, to tell them, I'm sorry, but sports is not our particular cup of tea. I will do what I can for the school and I will do everything I can for the school spirit, but as far as me being a part of your athletic program, I'm sorry, I will be unable to participate in that. Well, when they made all of these gestures and I didn't swallow that hook, line, and sinker, then they turned on me and they started making fun. And I don't know whether you've ever been in a situation like this, but for a boy, that's a boy, for there to be connotations that he was sissy didn't sit well with the flesh of Merle Ewing. And I can tell you that I never did participate, I never did uh, allow myself to bend at their, at their persuasion and then fun making, and I'm happy for that. But I can't always tell you that it was because I love God that much. 
I had a great deal of assistance. And it was that six foot four dad, weighed 250 pounds, that had a belt as long as a freight train looked to me like. I never will forget when my daddy started to take his belt off, the sound that was the most excruciating pain to my consciousness was when he whipped it out. And when the tip end of that belt come around those belt loops, it sounded like I started walking lightly. Some of you have been there too, haven't you? You know what I'm talking about. But you see, I honored that dad, and I honored that little humble Pentecostal church. I honored that teaching, but I can't always tell you that I did it sitting down on the inside. For somewhere within my guts, there was that overwhelming desire. I just wish I had one chance to show you. You think boys that have convictions are sissies. If I had one chance to get on that field, I'd do as good as air one of you. I'd do as much as the last one of you. I could hold every one of you at bay if I just had a chance to show you. I hope you understand what I'm saying tonight. We do some things we do strictly out of self-discipline. Not because flesh always wants to be that obedient. I never will forget, one day I was in a PE class. All of them were dressed in their PE attire and I was dressed in my, in my jeans and t-shirt. Stuck out like a black bear in a bowl of buttermilk. <laughs> in more ways than one. I was the biggest. <laughs> we were all out in the middle of the field. We were, no, nobody was during the day, and we were all out in the middle of the football field having our little PE class. We was playing football. And across the end of the field, up by the goalpost, walked the star football player of the whole school. And he was on his way from somewhere off out in the boonies back to the school building. And when he got right underneath the goalpost, he looked out there and saw that little PE class. And I don't know until this day what come over that boy.
But he stopped right under that goalpost and looked at us. And then he commenced to run him toward us. I couldn't believe my eyes. And, and when I tell you he was the star football player, he had credentials. Yes. When he ran, he ran all over. He ran with his knees. He ran with his elbows. He looked like a freight train coming down the middle of that field. And, and, and when, when, the, when the little fellas in that PE class saw what was going on, they, they scattered like cubby of quails. That guy was coming right down toward, and I don't know what it was that got a hold of him to make him want to show off like that. But whatever got a hold of him, got a hold of me too. And whatever made him want to show off, whatever was in me, made him not want to. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> so they all left, leaving me. I knelt down in the ground on one knee. I planted my toes in the dirt. I got just off the side far enough that it looked like I was gonna let him go by because he was walking, I mean running down the center line. <laughs> and when he got about two yards from where I was, honey, I dug my toes in the dirt and I lunged at his midsection. And all I can tell you is great was the calamity thereof. I'm not going to lie to you, it like to kill me. But I'll tell you what, while I was trying to get up out of the dirt, I looked over there and there he was rolling around, moaning and groaning, trying to get up too. I didn't have nobody but that little old bunch of P.E. boys. Yes, sir. And they didn't see me because they was in the bleachers. <laughs> trying to hide from that freight train. Yes. Hero? You might have right I was a hero. Wasn't no Just on Saturday.
Unknown. No bleachers. No fans. Yes. I'm happy to tell you that that same school that had given us such a hard time and that same coach when I graduated from that high school that coach gave me now this is when I first got into that PE class you know how I made my grade see they acquiesced to let us make our grade but you know how I made mine I made mine the first two years in high school by cleaning the mud off of the football players cleats I made mine washing the towels and the underwear and the, and the uniforms. I made mine by keeping the mud out of the dressing room. I made mine by cleaning the commodes and the urinals. Yes. That's the way I made my grade. First two years. But before the fourth year was over, that coach came out to me and he said, Merle, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to be the teacher of the class. This, here's the grade book. You call the shots. You tell your class what to do. You call the roll. You take them, make them run laps, run hurdles, whatever there's to do. And at the end of the six weeks, you give them the grade that's coming to them. I'm happy to tell you that I didn't lose all in that situation. I gained some respect there that I thank God for until this day. But I'm preaching to somebody in this building tonight. I'm preaching to somebody in this building and hear me very carefully. I'm preaching to somebody that because your greatest experiences and greatest challenges and greatest victories, somehow the stage has eluded you and somehow the devil has, has monopolized on that. And he's taken advantage of situations and you've tried and you've done your best and you're hanging in there and you're trying to make it happen and you're you're standing in the gap and you're doing everything you know to do but yet the stage has eluded you and the devil is trying to tell you tonight that there's no use the devil's trying to tell you that it's burnout the devil's trying to tell you that you're ridden with depression and frustration and there's no use in going on. But I'm preaching to somebody tonight. You may be just a Saturday hero up until this point, but you hang in there. It may be Saturday now, but the time for your production is coming. The 
The beautiful 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews is what we refer to as Faith's Hall of Fame. I want you to consider the first lineup of the heroes in that chapter. The name was given and an excerpt from the beauty of their life and their achievement. But then it goes on down and finally it says space and time would not permit to tell and it calls the names of many more. Somehow maybe their accomplishments, their name was called but there wasn't enough time to give an excerpt of the accomplishment. And then it goes on down to where I guess maybe space and time, they, they, they didn't even have room for the, for the names. And that segment, it just simply starts off and there were others. 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 Others who were sown asunder. Others who were cast in prison. Others of whom the world was not worthy. Heroes. You might have right they were heroes. But it was just that maybe they didn't get to play on the, on the Saturday night turf or the Friday night turf or the Sunday afternoon turf. Heroes, yes, but maybe it just, maybe, maybe there wasn't enough people around to really know the story. And there would have been no recollection of names and personalities involved. Unknown, yet well-known. I'm preaching to a church tonight. I'm preaching to an organization of people that God has brought to this hour for this hour. God has brought this church to this kingdom for such a time as this. And I would like to share with some tonight who are, who are frustrated, you are depressed, you are disillusioned because somehow the stage has eluded a lot of us. You're, you're, you're depressed and frustrated because world's acclaim has not been vented in our direction. And I'd like to share with you tonight, I believe this church has some as good of preachers as walk in shoe leather. Can you hear what I'm saying tonight? I wish that everybody could understand. Please preach with me right now and get what I'm saying. I believe this church has preachers that are as good as any other people in the world have to offer. 
I believe this church has some of the greatest singers that can be produced in any people anywhere. This church has Christians that will match anybody anywhere. I thank God for my church tonight. But you'll have to admit with me that there are some of us that frustrate sometimes because there has not been worldly acclaim for some of the talent in our midst. Why hasn't there been worldly acclaim from some of the preachers in our midst? And I don't discredit what we have accomplished, but you understand what I'm saying. Somehow, Stardom has eluded us. Heroism has eluded us. Yet we have tried to make ourselves known. We've tried to do it as well as we can do it. But yet the stage has eluded us. Hang on. And I thank God for everything that we've accomplished with Harvest Time. I thank God for everything we've accomplished with every group that has got records and everything that's happening. I thank God for it. But I want to tell you something tonight. Don't frustrate over the fact that we haven't produced world heroes yet. over the fact that we have not as yet played on the spotlighted field. If you will, hang on just a little while. It's Saturday now, but Sunday's coming. I heard about that sermon the black preacher preached on Easter. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I got news for you. Most of us have been in the Saturday hero category for a long time now. But you hang over. The whole story has not been written yet. You hang in there. Sunday is coming. My God, why don't somebody take a break with me and let's stand to our feet and lift our hands and magnify the Lord right now. Hallelujah! Somebody shout hallelujah with me. Let's throw our hands up in the air and shout it together. Thank you, Jesus. 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 You may be seated. God love your heart. You're a beautiful crowd tonight. I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I'm a preaching here tonight. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm giving anybody a license to sit around and do nothing. 
I'm a preaching to people that are doing everything you know to do to do the will of God. You're giving it everything you've got. And I want you to know, friend of mine, don't let the devil tell you that it's not worth it because you may be unknown now, but there is a place where you are well known. I've got, a, I've got a certain feeling on the inside of, my, of myself that the work that God wants to do in this end time, hear me well, I say again, we've got some of the best singers, some of the best preachers that this world can offer, and there must be a reason why there has not been stars created among us. I want to tell you something tonight. The work that I feel like God is going to do in this end time is going to be a work that is a sovereign work of the Spirit. And no flesh is going to glory in that sovereign work of the Holy Ghost. God's church will not have heroes in the end time. God's church will not have stars in the end time. God's church collectively is going to be a ball of red hot revival fire that will see a quick work in the Holy Ghost. And I don't mean tonight for anybody to think that I discredit those that we honor as our leaders. We have those among us that we respect and revere, but I'm talking about the acclaim of those out yonder. But I tell you, I've got a sneaking idea that when God gets his church into that spiritual vein, in that spiritual dimension, in that spiritual echelon of miracle working power, God is going to do a work with the body. God is going to do a work with every church. God's going to do a work with every home missions front. God's going to do a work with every hamlet and every station in the fallen fields. There's going to be a revival sweep this world like you've never seen before. My wife and I were flying several years ago back down the East Coast after an engagement in the state of New York. Flying down that eastern seaboard, nothing but a sea of people.
I looked out the airplane window and when I saw that sea of homes and we flew for hours, a sea of people, a sea of humanity, houses. Somehow the magnitude of that gripped my heart. Yes. It was many years ago before any kind of a, of a electronics way of reaching the world was even thought of. I looked at my wife, I said, honey, we'll never do what we are called to do with our own human efforts. We'll never do it at passing out pamphlets. And I'm not against passing out pamphlets, you understand that. But we'll never do it knocking on doors. And I think we need to knock on every door we can find. We'll never do it with radio broadcast. And I think we need to get on the radio as much as we can. And we'll never do it with many of the other ideas and areas. And those things that we feel in the Holy Ghost are off limits. Don't even worry about it. We wouldn't do what God wants us to do even if we had that medium. But I'm preaching to you tonight. God knows how to do a sovereign work. Hold on long enough for me to tell you this. Some of you right now, you're not knowing where I'm going, and I'm telling you right now, don't be afraid. I'm just simply preaching to you what I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight. We have brought ourselves to a place of frustration. Hear me, United Pentecostal Church. We have brought ourselves to a place of frustration. Will you hang on with me just yes. let me explain to you. Everybody still with me? I was privileged to go to the city of Washington, D.C., along with many of our officials and, and fellow brethren of the United Pentecostal Church. There was a conglomeration of people from all walks of life, people from all persuasions that had converged on the city of Washington to make an impact on the legislative body of that city and the news media of that city and of course around the world that there were some God-fearing, God-conscience, Jesus-fearing people in our world that was interested in what's going on. Now, you can imagine there was, there was a gathering of preachers from all persuasions, all kind of areas that had gathered in one of the great uh, uh, memorial halls there and, uh, and many speakers were chosen to speak and address that crowd that night. And, and, and frustration and fear and anxiety was reeking from every speaker. You could almost feel the hopelessness. I'm telling you, there was an aura of, of, of total helplessness that perpetrated that atmosphere that night until there was an old black preacher 
that was called to be one of the speakers to address five or so minutes that congregation of religious leaders from around the United States of America. I never will forget that old darling's address that night. He got up there and I will not say verbatim but very close to what he had to say. We have assembled from the four corners of our great nation many troubles on every hand and he began to enumerate the troubles that we had come there to try to, to, to counteract. But then he paused and he said, but I serve notice here tonight, God is not in trouble. to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to step on nobody's toes. I don't want to make anybody comfortable that's not doing nothing. But I want to tell those of us that have got our heart in this thing and want to see it done God's way. I want to preach to you tonight. Hey, and I appreciate every one of our programs that are designed to motivate us. Do you understand that? I appreciate the programs that motivate us. Anything that motivates us to get off of high center. And I, my wife don't like for me to say it, but what else can you say sometime when that's where people are sitting? I don't like people that are sitting on the stool of do nothing. Now I realize that's a, that's a worn cliche, so just mark that one off the books, okay? But I'll tell you what we can do. We can motivate ourselves with certain cliches sometimes that if we're not careful, instead of us questioning our ability to do it, we question whether God even has a plan himself. And see, some of you, you done scared to death of where I'm going, that I'm fixing to plow somebody's corn. I ain't here to plow nobody's corn. I ain't here to grind nobody's axe. I'm just here to tell you tonight, don't you ever get into a spirit of frustration over whether or not God's in charge. I preach to you tonight, God is not in trouble. God is 
is going to have a church. God's going to have a people. You say, but Brother Ewing, what is he going to do? He's counting on us. I thank God he's allowed us to be a part of it. But I've got news for you. If God can't get us to do it, he'll raise up somebody else somewhere else. He is not in trouble. If he has to, he'll get a stone to do it. If he has to, he'll get somebody over yonder that will do what he says. That's what scares me half to death. I want to thank God for what God is doing beyond the borders of the United Pentecostal Church. I want to say that again. I want to thank God for what God is doing beyond the borders of the United Pentecostal Church. I think all of us recognize that God is doing a work among people who have never known this beautiful truth. Right? But I'll tell you what we better be careful of doing. We better be careful when we look out yonder at people who have never had the fullness of truth that are coming this way. We better not leave what God has given to us and make us go out yonder to join them. God is merciful to people that are coming toward truth. But when people leave truth, going into error or less than truth, you are inviting the judgments of God on your head. I thank God for what he's doing out there. But I want to also thank God for what he has done and is doing right here. And I want God, I want God to do it all over the world. And we're going to rejoice and thank God. But I want to tell you something. Hear me real close. Sometimes we frustrate because they don't all come our way. And I've had, I've had some talking and, 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 and just discussing in these areas, you know. And I understand my concept of what God is going to do in this last hour. We don't have enough United Pentecostal churches to hold what God's going to do. We don't have enough storefronts and enough buildings to house what God is going to do. We don't have it. We don't have the facilities to see the magnitude of what God is going to do. I believe God is going to do a work that 
I told our people in Lake Charles, please pardon me for personal references. I told our people in Lake Charles, I'm not just interested in a church on I-10. I'm not just interested in a neighboring church on 6th Street or Holly Hill or Living Way down on McNeese. I look for the revelation of God in this end time that every denominational church in the city will become a tongue-talking, Holy Ghost, holy living, godly church. I'm talking about a sovereign work of the Holy Ghost. Somebody shout hallelujah with me. But hold on, darlings. Hold on just a minute. I realize God's doing a work, and I'm tickled to death over it. I'm thrilled at what God's doing. And God is sovereign, and He can do exactly what He will. And He's got me where I am for a reason. God has got us where we are for a reason. Mm, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost up here tonight. Just a moment. Now here is where the fear and where we better be careful. When we see the moving of God out yonder, They are on their way to truth. I cannot leave truth on my way to error. God has got us here for a lighthouse. Somebody said they'll never come to us. I'm not caring whether they come to my church or to your church or to another United Pentecostal church. I've done told you we don't have enough churches to house the magnitude of what God wants to do. But what I've got to be careful is I have got to have in my mind fixed if they're not coming to us, how far do they have to come? Oh, I didn't see one hat in the ring in that one. <laughs> didn't throw nobody's hat in the ring. Didn't, 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 didn't have a whole lot of amens on it. But I think you're listening for the next one. Pentecostals, I'm telling you something in the fear of God. When we see God moving to draw them to truth, we better be careful to not put them in the bride before the book will. 
They may not come to my Pentecostal church and they may not come to yours, but they're going to have to come to repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues and living a holy, godly life in this present world. Somebody stand up and let's praise God, would you? I want you to turn around to somebody right now. Get a hold of their hand. Shake it real good and hard. And look them in the eye and say, I believe what we preach. If you believe it, shout hallelujah. Let's clap our hands to the Lord everywhere. Clap our hands to the Lord. Do what you feel in the Holy Ghost. Lay your hand on somebody's shoulder right by you. Let's pray. Let's pray for a revelation of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray for the, for the breath of encouragement. Let's pray for a breath of strength. Hallelujah! 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 Yes! Yes! Receive the Holy Ghost! Receive your healing! Receive the breath of the Holy Ghost right now! Receive it! Receive it! My God. If you're sick in this place, lift up your hands. Somebody around you, reach over and touch your brother or your sister that needs a healing in their body tonight. Those of you that need the Holy Ghost, lift up your hand. Let somebody pray for you that God would fill you right now.
preaching to you, three Hebrew boys. You don't understand the fire furnace, but hang in there. You'll understand a little better by and by. I'm preaching to you, Daniel. You don't understand the den of lions right now, but hang in there. You're a Saturday hero today, but Sunday's coming. I'm preaching to you, Joseph. You don't understand why the jealousy, why the slavery, why the pit, why the, why the bondage, why the dungeon. You don't understand, but if you can just hang on, victory's coming. And when you get to the throne, you'll understand why. If it hadn't have been for the pit, for the jealousies, for the slavery, for the selling like a slave, for the dungeon, for the disfavor, if it had not been for all of those things, when he got to the place of the ultimate fulfillment of his dream, the dream is what got it all started to begin with. But if it hadn't have been for the dream and for the things that followed the dream, Brother Bingham, when he got to the seat of authority, if it hadn't have been for the trail that put him there, when he got to the place of authority, to where the fulfillment of the dream could be accomplished, if it hadn't have been for the trail that got him there, instead of reaching for a grain sack, He'd have reached for a sword. Honey, God hadn't called us to this hour to give our brothers a sword. He's called us to the throne for such a time as this to give them the grain sacks. <laughs> Hallelujah, Brother Urshan. Hallelujah. 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 Just go ahead and be patient, Joseph. Be patient, Joseph. Don't worry about a thing. You hang in there. It may be Saturday today, but tomorrow you're going to be a hero in the king's house. Instead of individual heroes, God's going to make a hero out of his church. God has got a unique way of using things that come along a little late. Do one of them for me too. That was cute. I like that. Hmm. All right. All right. All right. We may as well go ahead and be apostolic and enjoy our salvation. <laughs> oh, my Lord, I'm a feeling it here tonight. God told Israel, he said, now when you plant your vineyards and you go out to reap your harvest, 
He said, when you start to reap your harvest, you go to the grape vineyard. He said, when you reap the harvest of grapes, he said, you leave. That that comes along late, don't go back and strip. He said, you leave that for the widows, the orphans, and the strangers. When you go to the wheat field, don't go back and cut everything down. You go out and get your harvest, and then that that's the little belated, you leave that for the widows, the orphans, the strangers. God in His unique way has a way of reserving to develop just a little bit behind schedule. Something that he wants to use for a miracle. Was it not Joseph, the belated son of his father, that was the salvation of Israel? Was not Jesus Christ the belated son of Jesse? that become the salvation of the world? Was it not Paul, a belated apostle, that opened the door to the Gentiles? Just, just a little bit behind schedule. Just a little out of sync as far as everybody else is concerned. Wasn't it Jacob? The one who was just a little out of sync, that came just a little on the heels of everything else that God turned the tables and used. Huh? Wasn't it? I'm asking you, Pentecostals, are we not the religious son of our father's old age? Are we not the belated son of Reformation? Huh? Huh? <laughs> like Joseph, all of those other boys had to come to where Joseph was sitting on a throne and bow down and say, it happened the way your dream said. We take our hat off. We acquiesce. You're the one that's got the grain. You're the salvation. You're it. You're it. I want you to, to hear me tonight. All the other sons of Reformation, religious sons of Reformation, are on their way around to the belated son of our father's old age. And they're about to declare, you are the ones that have the grain. You're the ones that have the spirit. You're the ones that have the truth. I'm preaching to you Pentecostal. Hang in there. It's Saturday now, but Sunday is coming. 